Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 this evening. So this morning, in the morning service, uh, we looked at one of the seven churches of Asia. And so tonight we'll cover the rest. No. <laughs> like, no, please. We want to leave. Um, we, we covered one, and that was the first one, and that's the church of Ephesus. I call that the forgetful church. And so this evening we're going to compare two. It's the last two in the, in the list in Revelation chapter 3. And so I want to, if we can, uh, read verses 7 down to verse 22. And we'll read that responsibly. All right, so let's stand together and we'll read that. I'll start in verse 7 and then we'll read verse 8 together. Uh, I'll read verse 9 and we'll go down because this is the two that we're comparing this evening. It's the church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea. And, and I'll start in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Together. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for this time that we can gather together. This morning we considered the forgetful church, one of the churches of Asia. We considered some principles that 
uh, encompass these seven churches. And I pray that as we come to these two this evening, Lord, it would be instructive to us. Lord, the Word of God would be opened properly. And Lord, we would come and know the sense of it, as the Bible says. Pray always that you would do that which I cannot do, and that is speak to hearts. We ask and claim your power in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to look and consider the question, which church are you? Or which person are you? We have two contrasting people, two contrasting churches. The first is the church of Laodicea that we're going to look at. I call that the apathetic church. And then we have the church of Philadelphia. And the church of Philadelphia, I consider the alive church. So which are we? Are we apathetic or are we alive? When looking from the outside, and you would consider these two churches, and we'll look at this right as we come to a close, as we look at the two, in human standpoint, in a physical standpoint, most of us would pick the church of Laodicea and say, that is a church. Part of it is, when you know the background of the church of Laodicea, it was very wealthy. I would imagine that they had a very respectable looking place. That they probably had buildings and facilities they had uh, in that time era. They were very well taken care of, very well maintained. And the church of Philadelphia, you notice even in the description of the church of Philadelphia, it said they had what? Little strength. It seems to indicate that it was just a small group of people. If you know the background, and we'll talk about it in just a, a little bit as far as the Church of Philadelphia, it was a, a, a place known for earthquakes. Philadelphia uh, had had many, in fact, in A.D. 17. They say uh, the Greek writers even wrote about it. The Roman writers wrote about it. It was one of the most horrific earthquakes that ever happened at that time in, in centuries and so the people of Philadelphia, it was a struggling group of people. It was a group of survivors, you might say. But yet God said, you know what? You have little strength. But there was some great characteristics in that church because it was alive. It was alive. And so this evening, we're going to consider this idea of are we an apathetic or are we an alive church. So the first one we're going to look at is the Laodicean. So let's uh, look back in our text and we see that one picks up uh, for us in verse 14. So this morning when we were looking at it, we said we're going to follow the same outline for them. So first we're going to look at the chronology of the church. So the chronology of the church of Laodicea is a little unclear, but most believe that it was, it could have been started by Paul. Some believe that it was started by a man named Epaphras. And the reason is that in the book of Colossians, you read four different times about the church of Laodicea. So it must have been known. In fact, it was told to the people of Colossae, hey, make sure that this letter you take over to the Laodiceans. And it seems to indicate that Paul wrote the Laodicean church. And they said, swap letters. Now, we don't have in the canon of Scripture, it's not something that God preserved for us. But someday, I'd like, when I get to heaven, to go into the library of heaven and be able to pull out the Laodicean letter. All right? It would kind of be fun to do. 
But it, so many believe that it was founded by Epaphras. Uh, Paul, it seems, wanted to visit them. Paul sent greetings to them. And so the Laodiceans uh, became a, a Christian a city of eminence. It was a, a meeting place of church councils. Um, and you see that through history. Uh, there was an earthquake in 600 A.D. And in fact, uh, it is now, if you look up the place of Laodicea, it is a place of desolation. Uh, basically non-existent. And it's interesting because Laodicean, the church itself, thought of themselves as what? Rich. Well-maintained. Man, we got it together. Man, if you come into our place, we got it all together. And Christ was warning them, saying, no, you don't have it all together. So, we said that's a, a chronology of the church. And then this morning we said, let's look at the accommodations. Or, what did Christ commend the church for? In the church of Laodicea, nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. He didn't have any good word to say to the church of Laodicea. So then, let's look at the condemnations. The condemnations. So, the, or the, the cautions, but these were more condemnations. The first is found in verse 14. And you may say, this isn't really a condemnation, but it is in the names. So notice... In verse 14, right after he says, the church of Laodicea, he said, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And there's no uh, letters, none of the other letters come across this way right away. This is uh, the only time in the letters that it's the Amen, the faithful and the true, the beginning uh, of the creation of God. And I think it's because... Of what he was addressing. So the first thing he says. What basically. They have. They were fakes. They were fakes. So the amen. The faithful and true. Speaks to the insincerity. Of the church of Laodicea. They were fakes. He's telling them. In fact. It is uh, said in history. At this time. That there were uh, people saying that Christ was a good teacher. But he wasn't Christ. And so impure doctrine was getting into the people of Laodicea, into the church of Laodicea. And Christ was saying, I am the amen. I am the faithful and true. I am the beginning of the creation of God. You guys are insincere. Notice what else he tells the church of Laodicea. He tells them they're self-complacent. Notice, I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, I would that thou wert cold or hot. One commentator many years ago said Laodicea is the type of a self-complacent church. Now by that, what do we mean by a self-complacent? They're self-satisfied. Hey, you know what? We're doing all right. You know, we're neither cold nor hot. Now, there's a, a discussion on that, and so I just wanted to bear this out. So, the idea of cold nor hot, sometimes we say Jesus was saying that, you know what, uh, you need to either be on fire, or you need to be really cold, as in cold-hearted. I don't really think that Christ is telling us that it's okay to be cold-hearted. I think He was going back and using the area, the architecture of agriculture, or the development of the area. So, Laodicea was by two big cities. 
Hierapolis was one, and Colossae was another one. So guess what Colossae was known for? Very cold water, really refreshing waters. Okay? Guess what Hierapolis was known for? Hot mineral springs. All right? So here, you, Christ is giving uh, an illustration to them and saying, you know what, here's Hyopolis that you can go to, and there is, there is some worth to going there. And then you can go down to, to Colossae, and you can be refreshed on a hot evening. But you guys, now guess what Laodicea had to use aqueducts to bring in the water from outside. And guess what Laodicea was known for? Tepid Lukewarm water. All right? It was okay. But he's saying it's not a lot of worth. He's using a live illustration to this church and saying, this is what you are. These guys over here, there's healing waters. And these guys over there, there's refreshing waters. But when it comes to you as a church, what good are you? But they were self-complacent. Self-complacent. Lukewarm. If we grasp this truth. It helps us in understanding something that can happen in our heart and lives. It's not a a good thing. I think that both hot and cold here represent desirable things. The idea of a cold uh, can or a cold uh, drink is good or a hot uh, cup or hot waters that can soothe us are good. So the condemnations is insincerity, self-complacent, but notice what else. And verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You know what that tells us? Not only were they self-complacent, but they were self-sufficient. They were self-righteous. You know, we can get to the place that we start thinking that we're better than everybody else. Even as a church, as individuals, we can do that. But as a church, we can start holding up our nose and saying, well, these people over there. Well, you know what we are? We're sinners. That's what we are. What good is there in us? There's not a lot of good in us. Now, um, to the glory of God, we can do some good things and we should want to honor and please God with our lives. But sometimes we get so self-righteous and self-sufficient And that is what happened to the church of Laodicea. It said, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing. We need to be careful in our Christian lives. We need to be careful in our church life that we do not get to the place that I start saying, you know what? I got it. I don't have need of nothing. No, I always need church. I always need God. I always need his help. I don't get to the place. That I don't need it. Here in this passage, we see that. And it reminds me, remember in Luke 18, the, the story of the, the publican and the Pharisee? And the, the publican is there and he seems to be almost on his knees. He seems to be bent over and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what did the Pharisee, the Pharisee's almost kind of holding his nose. Maybe the publican came in from the street and he's like, whoo. Man, a little stinky. And he's looking over at that publican and he says, Lord, I thank thee that I am not like him. But that's the way some of us are sometimes. We're self-righteous, self-sufficient. We look around at everybody else and we're like, Lord, aren't 
aren't you just honored to have me? No, he's not. Because the best that we have, according to Scripture, the best that we have, what is it? Filthy rags. The best that we've got. That doesn't seem too good. And if you study that idea of filthy rags, you know what those filthy rags were basically used for? All right? It was the lepers. That's the idea. It was, it was an off-scouring. It wasn't something like, oh, it's just a dirty rag. It's a little smelly. But no, these are, these are just, they're putrid. And that's what the best that we have to offer. So self-sufficient, self-righteous. But then, you notice in the text, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So, not only were they insincere, were they self-complacent, were they self-righteous, they were self-deceived. Do you notice? You don't even know it. And there are some times that in our spiritual life and as a church, God is trying to get a hold of us and He's saying, hey, you don't even see where you're headed. You don't see the damage that you're, or, or the path that you're on. You're self-deceived. This is a very sad story for a church. And God then gives them a challenge. Notice what He tells them in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Get refined gold. Now, this is interesting because guess what Laodicea was? The city itself was a very wealthy city. They're like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, we, we have gold. We're rich. Remember, it even says this. I am wealthy. You, they're saying I am rich. And so here, this passage, it's saying to them, get refined gold. The gold was ground down. The gold was mixed with a cleansing agent. Gold was placed into a furnace. The gold was separated from impurities. And so all of that was what refined gold was. And so God is saying, you need to go and get gold that is pure. Get refined gold. Then notice what else he tells them. And then white ramus that now white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. So this is what's interesting when you study the history of Laodicea. Guess what Laodicea was known for? They produced, uh, in fact, Colossae and Hyperlis also produced clothing. They were textile cities. That was one of the industries. But Laodicea rose above the other two because they were able to refine and basically produce a black cloth that was superior to anybody else in the region. And guess what Christ does? He uses an illustration for him. He says, you know what? Your city may be known for that, but what you need to do is get white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. So he's talking to a church that is in a city that is known to produce some of the best black cloth for clothing in the whole region. And he says, guess what, guys? You're naked. All right? There's something wrong with you guys. And not only uh, are you not clothed because uh, you don't have the right clothing, but it's also the wrong color. Here he's telling them, 
that they need to get the right clothing. Now, as far as spiritually, what is what do you think the application spiritually is? The Bible instructs us in the book of Colossians to put off the old garments and to put on the new garments. So the instruction to this Laodicean church is to put off those old garments and put on the new ones, that white raiment. So then he, he tells them not only to, to get refined gold, to start restocking their wardrobe, but notice thirdly, look what he says, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So this is the other interesting thing about the history of Laodicea. Guess what they were also known for? The medicine and Laodicean itself, the doctors in Laodicea produced one of the best eye salve in the area in Asia Minor. So they knew about that. They knew about eye salve. They knew uh, that, um, that it really helped. They were, a medicine, they were a medicinal hub for, the, for Asia Minor. And so Christ comes to them, and what does He say? Work on restoring your vision. They were known for a, just a special eye salve, and, and Christ comes to them and says, you know what? You can't see. You can't see. Here you are in a city that is producing medicine to help people see, and spiritually, you're blind. You can't see. So I ask us, as individuals and as a church, are we like the Laodicean people? We need to be careful. We need to be careful that sometimes we get to the place that I'm rich. I'm, I've got it all together. Hey, I, look at, I, I've got, you know, I, I'm working hard. I'm sitting in church. I look okay. And Christ looks into our heart and he says, you're neither cold nor hot. You know what you are? Mediocre. You're lukewarm. And God says, that's not something that he wants near him. The idea of spewing it out of his mouth, I, I don't think I have to get descriptive here, but it's very obvious what God says he thinks of that. So that is one church, and that is the apathetic church. So let's go earlier in our text, to uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, and let's look then at the alive church. So what is the alive church Look like? Well, the chronology, I already gave you some, a little bit of the chronology of the church. Philadelphia was located in a very fertile valley. Um, part of the reason it was very fertile, as later they found out, is because it was uh, located in a volcanic area. And, and the, the, the volcanic ash and all that produced some of the most fertile land. In fact, you can look up in history, and some of the Romans love the wine that was produced from Philadelphia. It was so fertile, and so they had a huge wine industry and a grape industry. But with that fertileness, the cause of it was the volcanic ground. And so there was horrific, horrific um, earthquakes that tore through that little city of Philadelphia. And you can read about that. But what's interesting about the church or the group of people in Philadelphia, 
church historians have said that there has, it, of, of all the seven churches, so these are real churches. The church of Ephesus was a real church. Uh, Sardis, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira. Uh, you have, um, you have, here you have Philadelphia, and then you have Laodicea. All of them were real churches. Church historians that have studied and looked for remnants said that the church of Philadelphia, they found evidences of that church still in the 1300s. That's amazing. What a church. What a church that was striving and faithful and steadfast and was resilient against even, you think of all the earthquakes and all the volcanic activity, and it seemed like even in the text, they didn't have a lot of strength. They might not have been a big church, but man, there was something special about this church. They were alive so that it lasted, it seems like, about 1,300 years. Wow, what a church. An alive church. So that's a little bit about the chronology. Look at the commendations of this church. Look at verse uh, 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. So what does this seem to indicate? Well, it seems the commendation here is they took advantage of open doors of service. So God seemed to open doors for this church of Philadelphia. They may not have been a big church. They may not have had a lot of talent. They may not have had a lot of money. But guess what? When God opened a door for them, they took advantage of it. Now, I ask you, as an individual, are you going to do that then? That's an alive person. As a church, when God opens a door for you, like right now, you're trying to, you know, how, how hard is it for you to hand out a track? You say, oh man, I, I, you know, I can't really talk to people. Hand a track then. Can you hand a track out? You see, when you're given an open door, do you take it? I have missionary friends. That are in Asia, in China. And guess what? Guess what they can't do? They can't hand tracks out. They can't do it. I have uh, another missionary friend. He's actually taken some classes in the seminary. And he's in Papua New Guinea. And he, uh, just uh, last year, he was back for a short time and he sat in classes and Man, every Saturday, he was out, when he was here, he was out knocking on doors and we were talking about it because, man, you're on the mission field. I said, man, don't you get to share the gospel with people? He said, it's so enjoyable to share the gospel here, though. I love going soul winning here. I was like, well, why is that? He said, well, over there, they don't know anything. They know zero about God. He says, here, I can just come to the door and start. And there's at least a list. Sometimes I think they don't have a context. But over there, he says, it takes me sometimes months, months to just start that there is a God. You know what? It made me a lot more thankful for what God has given me here. And the open doors of opportunity, you know, we can complain all we want. But I, as, the, as the brother prayed right at the beginning, nobody's stopping us from coming to church. But how many people are coming to church? Isn't that sad? There are places around the world that it literally is the governments 
one of the government's priorities not to print the Bible. If you go to the Bible Museum right here in Washington, D.C., you can go to a section and they will show you places. They will show you areas, Bibles that are representative of countries that they are against printing the Bible. That's not true here. We can crab, we can complain, and I understand that. I want a better government. I want, a, I want, a, I want a, a freer. I want more liberty. I want all of that. But we have it. So what's stopping you? Oh, they made fun of me. Oh, oh the persecution you're enduring. They called you a name. I'm not going to jail. I'm not, I'm not uh, put in a concentration camp. I'm not being tortured. So the open doors of opportunity, we need to take them. That means we're alive. When I, when I, when I have a fervent heart, I have an alive heart for the things of God. When God gives me an open door of opportunity and I take it. Open door of opportunity is one. But then notice, secondly, about an alive church here in verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. Notice, secondly, what shows that I am an alive church. I am a fervent church or I am a fervent individual for the things of God. It is that I keep God's word. Not that I read it, I keep it. So how much do I, yes, I should be in God's Word, I should be studying God's Word, but one of the evidences that God's Word is making a difference is that I practice it. I keep it. This word keep is the idea to watch over, to guard, to keep, to preserve, to give heed to, to pay attention, to observe. All of this is involved. They were committed to Christ's words, but they were committed so much that it was shown in their practice. Are we keeping it? Man, it is sometimes so hard in our lives to, to follow through, isn't it? Sometimes God will deal with our hearts and He'll convict us of some things. He'll, he'll talk to us in church or he'll talk to us in our, our personal walk with the Lord and he'll say, hey, maybe it's something with your tongue. Maybe it's something with a friend. Maybe it's some, uh, somebody that, that you've done wrong to and God's like, hey, I want you to follow up and I want you to talk to them. I want you to deal with that. You know, like, ah, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> maybe next week. Maybe it's something with church. Maybe it's an area of giving. There are so many things that God pushes us with. And as we're reading Scripture, He convicts us on. But one of the evidences that I'm fervent and I'm alive in the things of God spiritually is that I don't just give a nod to it, but I put feet to it. I practice it. Do you keep God's Word? And the Church of Philadelphia... They may have little strength, but when God opened a door for them, they took advantage of it. And then when God showed them something from his word, they did it. They kept God's word. But notice, notice thirdly, 
Behold, I will make them, as is verse 9, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. But I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet, to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. It seems as though this church of Philadelphia had gone through some tough, tough times, and they had stayed Faithful. You know, what is a sign that we are alive? It's not just when things are going good that I love God. It's also when I go through tough times. So these guys were alive. Why? Because when they had an open door, they took advantage of it. Then when God told them something to do, they did it. But then they stayed faithful to God during the easy times and during the tough times. You know, all of us in our life are going to face some trials and some tough times, some tribulations. That is one of my gripes uh, with, it's not just America, but it's around the world. But especially in America, it's growing again. I just saw a poll that the, the prosperity gospel theology is growing again in the last year or so. And the prosperity gospel basically teaches us that if, if you are following God, everything is going to be peachy. You know, your bank account is growing. I mean, I get everything I want. All right. My bills are paid. All of this. All right. I have no disease. I have zero problems. And if a problem comes, you better check it because you know what? You must not be right with God. Well, if you study scripture, that's, that's not borne out. I mean, you can go uh, to, you can go to the book of Job. You're just going to have to skip the book of Job if you're thinking that. Because Job, right away in Job chapter one, it says that Job was a righteous man. There was basically nobody on earth like Job. And yet, God, and it wasn't God, God let Satan go and guess what he did? He tempted Job. The prosperity was all taken away. You can go to the book of Genesis and guess, guess, guess who goes against the idea of the prosperity gospel? The life of Joseph. I mean, here's Joseph, a guy that was very... Uh, he, the testimony of Joseph was that God was with them. Remember in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was preaching, he went to the life of Joseph and it says God was with him over and over. Well, if God is with him, why is he in prison? If God is with him, why is he in the pit? If God is with him, why are people turning against him? But guess what Joseph says at the end of his life when he's with his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, what we've got to understand, if, if we're fervent for the things of God, not only will I be faithful to the open doors that God gives me, not only will I be faithful to the word of God that he gives me in practicing it, but I will be faithful to God even during tough times. Now, then we see... We said that's the commendation. So what's the condemnations to the church? You may say in verse 8 that this is a, con, a condemnation, but I don't think so. 
I don't think there's any condemnation to the church of Philadelphia. The only thing you can find is in verse 8 where it says, For thou hast a little strength. I don't think that's a condemnation though. Because really, in the life of a Christian, and the life of a church, does it matter what physical strength or what strength I have? No. Because I am reliant upon His strength and His power. It's not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit, saith the Lord. You see, I don't have to have a lot of strength. And you sitting here today, you say, man, I don't think I have a lot of strength to do this. You don't, you, you fit the category then. Because through Christ, we can gain victory. Through Christ, we can have victory. See, the, the strength is in His strength. Why? Because if I do it in my strength, guess what I want to have? I want the glory. Yeah, I did it. Oh, man, did you see me do that? Man, it was, whew. Yeah, it was a little tough, but man, I just, I just, I reached down deep. We like saying that, don't we? But, but really, when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to our walk with the Lord... I need Christ's strength every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. Little strength. Jesus told the church in Ephesus that He knew their works. To the church in Smyrna, He said, I know your worries. He told the church in Pergamum that He knew their whereabouts. And He knew where they lived. He told the church at Thyatira, He knew the woman in their midst. He told the church at Sardis, he knew their withering. He told the church of Philadelphia, he knew their weakness. But he said, be faithful. Isn't that interesting? Be faithful. And so the challenge to the church, and this is my final challenge to you then this evening. So which church are you? Are you an apathetic church? And we saw the characteristics of the church of Laodicea. We saw some of the history of it. And I think that's interesting because it helps us in understanding a little bit about the city. And we understand a little bit about what was going on there. But Christ came to that church because He walks in the midst of the church. And He walks in the midst of our lives. And He knows what we are. And the church of Laodicea, He said, you know what, I'm condemning you. He had no good words to say to them. Then to the church of Philadelphia, he came to them. And he had a lot of things to commend them for. And I don't think he had anything to condemn them for. But he gave them a challenge. And notice what he says there. Look at verse 10 and 11 and 12. Notice what he says. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee. From the hour of temptation. You know what the challenge is to us? We can, we can, if we stay faithful, God will rescue us. I think this is talking a, a little bit about future. I think there's a, there's a hope, but also, even in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will with the temptation also make a way of escape. He will rescue you. You can count on God. You know, sometimes men will let you down, but you can count on God. 
You see, we can count on rescue. But then notice in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You know, also, I think we can count on relief. You know, sometimes it just seems overwhelming. But guess what Christ says? I'm coming. I'm coming. And sometimes it can be, uh, I think this is, uh, in a couple of ways, encouraging to us because one of the things is that I may think I'm by myself here on this earth, but according to God's word, he never leaves me nor forsakes me. So he will give me relief. But then also I know that Jesus is coming again. As bad as it gets. You know, this is basically the only eternal damnation that I'm ever going to know. This is the only, this is the only um, horrible, horrible living, horrible condition that I will ever know because I have been saved from hell. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. This earth is as worse as it's going to be. And then Christ is going to relieve me. He's going to bring relief. But then also, look at verse 12. It says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. So this, I think, is kind of a play. You're noticing, that's why I try to put in a little bit of history with the cities. Because I think that Christ, in writing this, was also addressing some of the historical aspect. Because what was the city of Philadelphia known for? Earthquakes. Guess what they had to do? They had to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild. In fact, it is said that once they rebuilt, they renamed the city Philadelphia to mean New Caesar because Caesar, the Roman Caesar, sent so much money to the city of Philadelphia to rebuild it that they raised up some things and even the city of Philadelphia made a statue, a pillar, and sent it back to Rome so that Rome could have it. And it said, basically, in thanks to the Caesar, the city of Philadelphia. And guess what Christ says? Guess what I'm going to do for you, Church of Philadelphia? I'm going to recognize you. You know, the city is recognizing the Caesar. The city is recognizing all these people. But guess what? I'm going to recognize you. You may think you're little. You may not have a lot of strength. And you know what? Sometimes we sometimes feel that. You know, as a Christian, I sometimes think, man, we don't make any headway. Does anybody care about Christ? You go out and you're trying to share Christ with people and people are like, ah, forget it. But that's what the scripture says. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go there that way. But few are choosing what? The narrow way. And sometimes I think that comes on us and we say, man, Lord, we're just down here. Man, we're just here at Lighthouse Baptist Church here in Alexandria. And Alexandria, man, it's so big and it's so vast. And there's so many people. Man, it seems like we're not doing anything. We're not making a dent. And guess what Christ says? Stay faithful. I'll recognize you. You know, that's encouraging to me. Because as much as I'm doing it for the Lord, 
You know, there's something in us as human beings. Guess what we want? I want a little recognition. I want to make a difference for the Lord. And God says from heaven, if you're faithful, I'll recognize you. So as we close, what is the Bible telling us? The Bible's telling us here in these last two churches. The church of Philadelphia, man, it's alive. Although it's small, it doesn't have a lot of strength. But man, that's a church that I'd like to, I'd like to have that testimony. Testimony is this. They don't have a lot of strength, but they've stayed faithful to what God has given them when He opened doors. They stayed faithful to the Word of God and they stayed faithful during hard times. You know, in your personal life, you're going to have open doors of opportunity and you're going to have the Word of God presented to you and you're going to have some hard times. Are you going to be faithful? Faithful to the Lord. Or are you going to get to the point that you're a Laodicean person or church? What's a Laodicean person? You're apathetic. Man, we get to the place that, oh, don't you know I've been at this church for nigh unto 180 years? I know that's not possible. All right. But some people, they look like they've been there, uh, that, that church that long. But they also, they kind of talk that way, like, I have been here. I am one of the pillars of the church. Yep, you look like one. <laughs> All right. uh, you look like granite. All right. You sit in the pew, uh, a little bit like concrete. But guess what? We get to the place that I'm complacent. I'm arrived. I'm rich. And what does God look down at my heart? And does he see somebody that is rich on the outside, but inside is empty? Is lukewarm. God help us. God help us to be a church or a person that is alive, that is fervent for the things of God and not apathetic. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening. Here in the Scriptures this evening, what did the Bible tell us? The Bible instructed us, and I think it was very clear, that there's two types of churches. There's a church that is apathetic or complacent. And there is a church that is alive, it's fervent, it has a passion for the things of God. This evening, which are you? Which type of person are you? And how are you helping Lighthouse Baptist Church? Are you helping Lighthouse Baptist Church to thrive? Or are you somebody that is holding back Lighthouse Baptist Church? Your spirit or your heart is that of complacency. And the way to de determine that is look at that alive church. So what are the things you're involved? What things are open to you and you're doing them? Has God opened doors? Are you taking advantage of them? What about the Word of God? Has God told you specific things to do and are you practicing them? But what about even trials? I know myself, I've gone through some hard things in my life and sometimes, guess what I've done? I've faltered some. Sometimes in my heart, I've started to think, man, God... You weren't fair. And that is a wrong perspective. God is always good, no matter what. He is always good, in good times and in bad times. Our God is a faithful God. This evening, it could be that somebody is here and you do not know Christ as your Savior. I always like to take an opportunity 
to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. If you'd say, you know what, you're talking about the Lord, you're talking about uh, a love for the Lord, and I think I might know a little bit about it, but I don't really have a relationship with the Lord, and a relationship with the Lord starts with accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't know of a time that you accepted Christ as your Savior, we'd love to take the Bible and show you this evening how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. You would say, you know, I, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me this evening? Is there anybody like that? You'd just slip up your hand. I, I won't embarrass you. I'd just like to pray for you. Is there anybody like that this evening? Anybody like that? You'd just say, pray for me. All right? But then, what about as a Christian this evening? Are you complacent? Are you apathetic? Are you alive? Maybe God dealt with your heart this evening. And you need to take some time at your pew or take some time at the altar and say, God, deal with my heart. Make me fervent and passionate for the things of God again. Like I was. Remember, the church of Laodicea is similar to the church of Ephesus in the the condemnations, isn't it? It's a, it's a losing of that first love. It's a loss of that fervor. God help us to restore again those things. Remember, that's what he told them. Restore again. Man, get a, get a new wardrobe. Get a new vision for God again. May God help us as individuals, as a church, to be an alive Church. Heavenly Father, bless the invitation time. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing with you this evening, you come as a piano player.